0: All right, well, let's, uh, let's get started in our study here in 1 John. Um, again, we're working our way through here, and 1 John is an assurance to a group of believers that have been abandoned by some of their best and brightest. And these people who left came with a, a host of false teachings and other things like that, um, one of the things that this other group seems to have said is that they had a special secret relationship with God, that there was a certain event or a certain experience you could have that gave you inside track. And John assures them, no, if you believe in Jesus, you get in the Holy Spirit already. You don't, There is no secret extra step. You're already in and you're already accepted. And then there was some attacks on the person of Jesus. These false teachers said that Jesus was... Uh, not really come in the flesh. If he was God at all, he was like a ghosty version of God, not a a real person, not a real human being. And John goes out of his way to point out, no, no, the way the truth is, is that Jesus really is 100% God and really is 100% man. He's 100% a human being. So one person with two natures, a divine nature and a human nature. And then uh, we learned about sin itself. This group of teachers thought that you, sin wasn't that big of a deal or that you could be completely sinless. And um, that's not true either. We, if we say we have no sin, we're a liar, and we need to confess our sins. Sins are something that God came to deal with. It's a big deal. It's something that we have to understand theologically. And then uh, last week we talked about the work of Jesus. One of the attacks was that Jesus' work was just to show love, maybe. And so what the truth is, is that he's the atoning sacrifice for our sins. He pays a penalty before God. He does show his love by his death on the cross, but he also pays a price. There was an actual transaction that happened that he satiated God's wrath, God's justice on the cross. God was right, and Jesus was willing and loved us so much to drink the full cup of God's wrath on the cross. And then um, the next one is that, Whenever there is a, um, a distortion of the truth, there's often a distortion of the ethics. And so I'm on purpose saying the works in Jesus are the works that we do, we who are in Jesus. And so there's the works that Jesus did for us, but then there's the works that we do now through him. And so it's important for us to understand those, again, because in, when there's error, there's often a link between bad theology, bad thinking, and bad ethical behavior. And actually, as I have matured in my faith and also as I study the Bible, it's not always clear which causes which. A lot of times, bad thinking leads us into actions that are uh, immoral or break God's law or are ethically wrong, right? But I think that the lion's share of the time It's the other way around. We are sinning, we choose a path that violates God's law, and in order to justify ourselves, we come up with theologies that make room for it. The Bible is clear that sin has a darkening effect, a distorting effect on our minds. And so when we willingly participate in something from darkness all the time, We inhibit our ability to think straight, and then we come up with crazy notions. And so um, what sometimes strikes us as really odd theology might often just be the manifestation of a rebellious heart looking for an excuse. Have you ever seen that before? In little children, (laughs) right? They're doing something wrong, and all of a sudden all kinds of fanciful stories come up. So that's a big part of it. And then uh, eternal life. So, just for clarification, today is the day that we're going to talk about the works in Jesus. What is it that God wants us to see? If we're going to be assured that we're in the truth, if the best and brightest have left us and they have all these teachings and we're wondering, are we okay? Are we okay? Part of the answer is answering some questions about how are we living? How can I be assured that I'm in the truth? I do trust that Jesus is God's son, and he's a human being. I do trust that he paid for the penalty for my sin. I have all these theological truths that I'm going to affirm, yes, 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 but part of the question is, looking in the mirror, how am I living? Am I obeying what God wants me to obey? So, in light of that, the scripture that was read for us this morning is Ephesians 2, 8-10. Um, to 10. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this, not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So let's establish right up front that we are saved by grace, not by works. You can't boast about it. It's not like God is going to accept me. He's going to save me from my punishment because I got baptized. Because if he did, because I got baptized, I could brag about, hey... Were you there when I got baptized? Did you see what I did? And then God would have to accept me. Or if I gave a lot of money or if I ran fast enough or something, then God would owe me salvation. But see, if God owes me salvation, then it's by my works and I could brag about it. I was a good guy. I wasn't as bad as the neighbor down the street. I'm okay. I'm not, I'm I'm a sinner, yeah, yeah, but I, I did some, my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds. I'm, I can brag about something. So if we think we can, we're wrong, right? It's by grace through faith, not by works. So when God saves us, it's through faith. We trust Jesus, and that's it. It's by God's grace. Everybody understand? Are you saved by your works? No. Okay? But once you're saved, look at the next verse. If I can click, click, For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus. We're in Christ Jesus now to do what, class? To do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So now that we are saved, there is an implication for our life, and we actually can, for the first time, do good. Something that's good. All of our works prior to salvation may be beneficial to mankind, but they do not merit God's favor. But once saved by the merit of the Lord Jesus alone, then we do things that please God. Not that make him love us more, not that make him um, obligated to us, not like that, but we're able to do something as a sacrifice of praise to please him. Let me use an example. My uh, my children, when they were real little, they would draw these really awful pictures of me, like they were like a tadpole picture, you know, like a big body with a smile and then like skin, really skinny legs. I wish that my and so they were awful pictures. They weren't. I look like a creature from another planet. But what did I do? Oh, that's not good enough. You go go try again. I want a one hundred. I don't need. A, I need a perfect manifestation of my image before I'm gonna. Put that on my refrigerator, you little scoundrel. Right? Is that what I would say? <laughs> uh, I didn't even think it. Right? Because I loved them, and they were doing the best that they could at that stage in their growth, and I accepted it as a wonderful, beautiful, good work. God is pleased by our efforts to please Him. Not in a way that makes Him love us more. I already love my little kids. It's, it's because I love them that I accept them. And it's a beautiful thing. And so I just want us to uh, recap. We're not saved by works, We're, but saved people do good works. And God is pleased by our good works. That's a great thing. Isn't it exciting to know that I can actually, even in this feeble attempt to teach God's word, that at some level, I'm doing this as a sacrifice for God, for to Him, and this is a work that He judges and may actually be part of a reward for me someday. Isn't that something? That God can be pleased in my work right now. And in your work, and your participation in this service, and your kindness to one another, and all the things that happen here today. We are actually pleasing God. And we can do so by His grace. And so... That's our starting point. That's the benchmark. And so before we get into the rest of it, I want us to stop and pray and and we'll start studying. So Father, we do thank you so much for the Lord Jesus. He has made us acceptable to you. We're so perfect in him. And now we're learning from him how to do the things that help your kingdom advance and and to give you praise and glory and, and things that make you happy with us. We want to honor you. Thank you for giving us that ability and privilege. And now as we study 1 John and we examine ourselves, are we doing what you want us to do? Are we in? Are we safe? Do we have assurance of our relationship with you? May your spirit convict us clearly, give us clarity of thought. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, well... Let me remind you, if you'd like to text me a question partway through the service, I'll try to answer them at the end. So that's my phone number. And um, here we are again. We're going to talk about the works that are in Jesus. And so, as usual, I'm going to go through the book of 1 John and uh, just answer questions. So the first question is, am I walking in the light? If we need to know whether or not we're part of God's family, uh, we, are we in? Do we have assurance that we're okay, that we're in Christ? The first question we want to ask ourselves is, am I walking in the light? And so I went through the first John and looked at all the verses I could find. And so these are some examples of ones that ask this question. Here's first John chapter one. This is the message that we, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie. And do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Here's another one, chapter 3. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. So, this first question, Am I walking in the light? doesn't mean we're sinless, because he said, We confess our sins and he forgives us our sins. But it also means that we don't continue in sin. And remember we talked about that a few weeks ago. About this attitude of just, I don't care what God says. I'm still going to do my own thing. So what does it mean to walk in the light? What is the opposite of walking in darkness? I think maybe another way to ask yourself this question is, is there anything in my life that I would hide from you? Am I... Is there a secret place, a darkness that I don't want to be known? Am I sneaking around? That's a good way to think about it. Because if you're walking in the light, you're not sneaking around at all. I, um, I, uh, I, I'll give you my phone, and you can look at all of my search history. Because I'm not hiding anything. Because there's nothing to hide. Praise God. That's grace, and my life. The other day I was working on some stuff for church and there was trouble with the accounting package and I, had, I was on a support call with uh, QuickBooks and they said what you need to do is purge your browsing history or clean everything out because the cache gets messed up if you understand anything, it helps you. Anyway, so you had to clear my cache. So I said, how do you do that again? And I was glad that I didn't know how because I didn't have to. And I went and found it, click, 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 and then clear browsing history. And it took a long time because I haven't done that in my computer forever because I'm not hiding anything. I've encountered people who have very clean search histories because they're always deleting it because they're hiding things. You understand? Don't walk in darkness. I had a friend who was so caught in the darkness of pornography, that he was persuaded that God had made him with those desires and since his wife was inadequate to please him, that he was permitted to go and he was going to go and did, had no shame about it. He had made it a part of his life. Without, an, He claimed to be a believer and completely bought in that he had permission to satiate the lust of his flesh through pornography. Friends, that's darkness. It's darkness. So if we are in the truth, we are in the light. And if you have darkness in your life today and have not brought that into the light and are not willing to bring it into the light and confess it before the Lord Jesus and have it taken away, then you have reason to fear that you are not in. Not because you're so strong, not because I'm so strong, but because those people who are saved by Jesus have been given His Spirit, and His Spirit works in us to grow and push us out of the darkness. Now, it doesn't mean we're perfect. It doesn't mean we never sin. It doesn't mean there haven't been darknesses in my life. But it means that Jesus will push you out of darkness. If you feel really convicted and want to make a change, then you're being pushed to the light. And so that would be a good sign. But if you're just... What a wacky guy. If you're dark like that, then I fear for your soul. So, that's the first one. Am I walking in the light? The second question that we need to ask ourselves from First John is, am I obeying his commands? Which in a lot of ways is the same question, just answered a different way. But it's a little bit different. What are God's commands? So look at what First John says. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Just... Like, what are Jesus' commands? Off the top of my head, I can think, well, love one another. Those are some key commands, new commands. But Jesus uh, ratified or verified the commands of the Old Testament. The simplest ones being the Ten Commandments, right? Honoring the Lord your God with um, not having idols and not misusing his name. And honoring your mother and father, Jesus reinforced that one. And then Jesus clarified what Sabbath was. It wasn't this man-made thing. It was a way to rest and stuff. And so God, Jesus redefines the Sabbath. And he says, do not steal. Do not lie. Do not commit adultery. Do not um, covet in your heart. Right? Do not bear false witness. I think I said that one already. I said lie, right? Am I missing one? Kill, do not murder, right? There's a no one. So Jesus says, hey, if you hate your brother, that's murder on the inside. And so the commandments are pretty straightforward. They're not that tricky to figure out. And so the question is, are we, are, is our posture, is our life like, are we characterized by those who basically want to obey the Ten Commandments? That's basically it. So we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Those who say, I know him, but do not do what he commands. Are liars, and the truth is not in them. So you can't say I know him, and then live in an adulterous relationship, and say I know him. I follow Jesus, and then it doesn't. It doesn't compute. It doesn't work. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. So if you are obeying His Word. That's your love for God showing out. And this is how we know we are in Him. Whoever claims, whoever claims to live in Him must live as Jesus did. So if you, are a, um, if you want to be assured of your faith, you're going to look more and more like Jesus. The more you live, the longer you live. If you're following it, it does just like that little picture that my you know, three-year-old drew for me on the refrigerator, they didn't have it all figured out yet, but that by the time they're 10 years old, and by the time they're 18, and by the time they're 25, if they're still drawing tadpole pictures on the refrigerator, uh, usually by the time they're 25, they're self-aware enough to realize that there's a different way to try <laughs> express love, because I'm not an artist, right, or whatever. But the point is, is that there should be growth. And so what's expected at different stages is expected, but there, you should be characterized by... A, a person who is in Jesus is characterized by looking like Jesus. We don't lie all the time. We should be able to, every one of us here should be able to take our wallet full of $100 bills and just hand it up and down the aisles. Let's have a big wallet exchange. Throw them in a big pile and everything. And then all get them all and nothing's missing. Because we totally trust each other. Nobody's a thief here. Not if you're in Jesus. That's the way it should be. Should that seem strange? It shouldn't be at all. We obey God's commands. Now again, because God's working in us to do that, not because we're so hot, not because we're so moral or whatever. All right. Third question: Am I loving my fellow believers? And this is the one has the lion's share of the words from First John. So let's read some of those passages. Am I loving my fellow believers? First John chapter two: Those who claim to be in the light but hate a fellow believer are still in the darkness. Those who love their fellow believers live in the light, and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But those who hate a fellow believer are in darkness and walk around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. Again in chapter 3, For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a fellow believer is a murderer, and you know that no murderers have eternal life in them. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for one another. If any one of you has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in them? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. Man, I wish I could highlight that. Oh, I guess I did. Right? Did you catch this here? You see, part of the problem with loving our brothers is that my conscience is bothered. Some of you kind of bother me, honestly. I'm not going to tell you who just yet. Maybe. I'll overcome it, but you're kind of irritating sometimes, all right? I know I am, right? So, we're not talking about feelings of love. Sometimes I don't feel very warm towards you all, some of you all. Okay, all of you. <laughs> I'm in big trouble now. But, uh, but that doesn't matter how I feel, and, and it, does, it matters how I do. And am I going to obey Jesus and do what's right? And I'm not perfect, but I'm really trying hard to love you with actions and in truth. With the truth and in actions. Which means in the big wallet exchange, if you need some, you can have some too. Right? That's one of the actions we take. We give to one another. So it's by actions and truth. Let's keep going. Dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God. And knows God. So that's a good, I wish I could highlight that too. Because let us love one another because love comes from God. This is not me producing some kind of, okay, I got to think about that one person. Okay, uh, no. no. Oh, yeah, I've, okay, I I've finally, yep, I'm warming up. I'm warming up to him now. I could do it. No, the, the source of my love for you, the source of your love for me, for us for loving one another, is not one another. You aren't lovely, <laughs> actually. Neither am I. But Jesus loves you, even though you're not lovely. And that love comes from him to me. And when I see you the same way he does, then my heart is warmed, right? Because I'm going to love the way he does. You see, I'm not able to pull this off. But God is, and God loves. Gives us love for one another. So this love comes from God. That's why one of the evidences that you're in is that you love one another because it's a miracle actually that you would love me or that I would love you. This is really bizarre. But God is making that happen which is evidence to us that we are part of the family. We're We're okay. So everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. That's where it came from. It's not from... So again, consider the contrast. If you are outside of Christ and you you are selfish and still trapped in your sins and you're not forgiven for your sins and you don't have the dwelling of the Holy Spirit, there's people that you're going to hate around here because they make you feel guilty instead of inspiring you to do right. And so people who are outside of Christ hate Jesus they so have no other choice. Well, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. The actions that God t- took to save us. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to also love one another. Make sense? If I've been loved with that kind of love, while I was still his enemies, Christ died for me, how much more should I love you for whom Christ has died as well? And so that's the basis for it. That's where we can go to. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. We love because he first loved us. It's where it comes from. If we say we love God, yet hate a brother or sister, we're liars. For if we do not love a fellow believer whom we can see, who we have seen, we cannot love God whom we have not seen. And he has given us this command. Those who love God must also love one another. So that's a pretty big piece of the pie there, right? Am I loving my fellow believers? And then the fourth and final question is, am I loving God? Am I loving God himself? And, and you know, really, this is kind of the first question. Because if you love God, you're able to love what he loves and who he loves. And so I think this is an important one, but it is a, a distinct one in my mind as well. 1 John 2, verse 15. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If you love the world, love for the Father is not in you. So one of the ways you can tell is, are you thinking more about the Lust of the flesh and the things in the world. Look at what look he says everything in the world, the cravings of sinful people, right? So the lust of their eyes and their boasting about what they have and do, those things, those things are from the world. And if you're all focused about this life and how we can get more stuff and, and more f- pleasures and more uh, distortions of the truth and more, then you're, if you're in for this system, if you're here, if you're at church in order to sell us life insurance, and you don't love anybody else, you just see us all as marks, you're not loving us. You're, in, you're loving the world. That's just a rough example. You follow what I'm saying? right? Are your fellow believers here marks for your business growth, or are they somebody you care about how they're doing? Praise God, we don't have anybody going around here marking us. If we did, we'd probably kick you out. Which might not be loving, but you're not a brother, so it'd be... That is part of loving one another, isn't it? When you love your children, you protect them from bad friends. Okay? One of the things we do when we love one another is we protect one another from bad influences. And we get involved. There's room to push somebody out sometimes. Don't, misinter- don't misinterpret love as accepting everything all the time. We often say that this is a hospital and, and none of us are perfect. There's a, this church is full of hypocrites. Amen? Any one of us here not a hypocrite? Any one of us still failing? We're all still failing. So we're not perfect. But the doctor is. But one of the things the doctor does is he's got some codes of ethics about how we behave in the hallways of this hospital. And if you're doing bad things to other patients, we're obligated to push you out or clean it up. You're not allowed to do bad things in the hospital. You're not allowed to hurt people. Because this is God's family. And so don't misinterpret love as accepting everything. No, that's, that's just, I don't know what that's called. But love is, tells the truth in love. We can't avoid the truth parts either. All right. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. And look at this one, 1 John chapter 5. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Messiah is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves the child as well. So part of how I know I love the Father, the question is, am I loving God? I know I love the Father because I love His children. This is how we know that we love the children of God. Remember the previous question, am I loving my fellow believer? One of the questions, am I being warm enough? How do I feel? How can I tell? Look at this. This is how we know that we love the children of God. By loving God and carrying out his commands. The way that I know that I love you as a child of God is that I love God and carry out his commands. Interesting. If I am obeying the Ten Commandments as best as I can, if I'm obeying the instructions of Jesus, that's how I love my neighbor. Because I'm not going to steal from you. I'm not going to lie from you. I'm not going to steal your wife. I'm not going to um, misuse God's name in your presence. I'm not going to covet over your possessions. I'm going to be glad for you when God prospers you. Right? So the way that I know I can love you is that I'm loving God by keeping his commandments. And in fact, this is love for God. Is to keep his commandments. There's a, there's a, the whole thing fits all in this verse, doesn't it? If I, how do I know I'm loving God? Because I love best. i doing what He wants me to do. And if there's a clear, if you can come out and say, John, remember this, is, and you point out where I'm disobeying, I'm gonna say, thanks for letting me know. I was blind to that spot. I had a blind spot. I need to change. I got to repent and do what God wants me to do. Because I love God. He's the greatest treasure of my life. By God's grace, the Lord Jesus has saved my soul. And I can love him by obeying his commands. If he tells me to go, I go. And that's how I can have any confidence at all that I can love you. Is because I'm trying my best to be a follower of Jesus. You follow? It all works. And I have confidence because of God's work in my life. And his commands are not burdensome. By the way, this isn't a whole bunch of rules. This isn't a whole bunch of nasty, difficult things. They're gifts to us. They're gracious Right on the verse that follows, and his commands are not burdensome, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Even our faith, right? Trusting in Jesus and his gift of grace to our lives. It's not my good works that earns anything with God. It's that he, through faith, gives me grace and I can overcome the world. I can survive this whole thing. His commands are gracious and loving. Isn't that true? When a parent keeps his children from running out into traffic, is that a burdensome command? No, it's a loving command. The blessings of obedience are way better than the temporary and fleeting pleasures of sin for a moment. And so it's a good thing to trust in Jesus. All right, well, those are the questions that we have to ask, and I don't know if anybody asked any questions. I have one here. If a person finds themselves answering no to one of these questions, what steps should they take? You understand the question? If someone says, no, I'm not walking in the light, or no, I'm not loving God, what steps do you think they should take? That's a good class. Why don't you guys use some of that in your BFG time, right? Try to figure it out. I guess my first answer would be, what is... What does the Bible tell us to do when we encounter sin in our lives, right? Repent, turn around, and say you're sorry. Agree with God about the sin and repent and come to Jesus in faith and say, I can't do this. I need you to save me. So that, it might be an indication you need to be saved. If you're a believer, it's a strong indication you need to repent of a blind spot in your life. You want to be aligned with the truth. Anyone who comes to Jesus in faith, he will in no wise cast out. Amen? Okay, and then here's another one. Um, there's irony in today's world. Often believers are the ones who hurt others, and often non-believers who love others more. And that's a true statement, isn't it? We, have a, we are guilty of having been given the high ethical commands of Jesus to love one another, it's ironic that within those who call themselves believers are some of the most vicious and hateful actions you'll ever encounter. At the same time, you'll see groups of people who are united over a cause or something else that are not believers. They would even declare themselves agnostic or atheist right out front, and yet they're kind and loving to one another in ways that we can't even imagine. I think in some ways, uh, we as a church could learn a lot from the hospitality given by others who don't claim the name of Jesus at all to one another. So that is an ironic problem, isn't it? Does that prove the message wrong? No, I don't think so. Part of, part of the reason I think that the church is so full of uh, examples of doing it wrong is because the enemy hates Jesus. And he brings in unbelievers. And he, the Bible warns about those who come into our flock that will be like vicious wolves and they tear and shred. And so it's sometimes true, it's almost evidence that Jesus is the truth, that people will use his name and distort it. And so I would say in a lot of cases, those people are probably not believers at all when they do vicious things. I also think that there's something to be said for the fact that when an attack comes within a community of believers and somebody is being vicious and horrible, it's an opportunity for us, especially those of us who are spiritually mature, to demonstrate what following Jesus looks like. We turn the cheek, we love when we're hated. We don't revile back the same way. And we demonstrate to the world what it's like to be a follower of Jesus. And that's not being blessed. right? Sometimes it's being hated and and treated poorly. So maybe sometimes those are opportunities for practicing what we preach. If somebody's being mean to you, it's an opportunity to do what Jesus says. What was one of his commands? Love your enemies. And try to do that too. So... So maybe sometimes these terrible things that happen are, are uh, just opportunities for us. I don't know. Thank goodness we're not saved by works. <laughs> right? If we had to be a perfect church, I was running yesterday, I tried try to do a 5K every Saturday, and I was running and it occurred to me again, what if I had to run this faster in order to be saved? How hopeless. I'm getting older I'm training so hard and I can't get any faster. And it's just so frustrating. so frustrating. If I, if I had to be good enough to be saved, I would die. But it's not. We're saved by God's grace. And we love one another because we're forgiven, not because we're so great. Well, I hope that helps you. And thanks for the questions. And, and those are all good BFG discussion time questions too. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you so much for the Lord Jesus who did live a perfect life in order to completely set the record straight and perfect so that in him you can see me as forgiven. Thank you for his perfect righteousness applied to my account through your grace, through through my trusting in Jesus so that I stand before you now as a 100% child of yours, without fault and free from accusation, because I'm in Jesus. And so now from this wonderful position of, of pure standing before you, what a thrill it is to gradually begin to experience and practice that kind of righteousness. God, work in each one of us to make us more like Jesus, to make us Holy. Help us to be assured in our faith and to spur one another on to good deeds and to know that you're pleased by them. We thank you so much in Jesus' name. Amen.